All right, so we are in week three. I didn't anticipate all the shenanigans, so I'm going to have to figure out how to cut some stuff here. Uh, we are in week three of this series called Bless This Home. We want our homes to be blessed. Like all of us in this room, everyone watching online, we would all agree we want our homes to be blessed. The problem is many of our homes are the total opposite of what we would consider being blessed. Many of our homes represent struggles, lots of struggles, and, and we're, I'm not immune to that. But in Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus talks, has the Sermon on the Mount, and we all, if you've been in church any at all over your lifetime, you've probably heard of, of pastors and, and worship leaders and folks talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but this is Jesus' epic first sermon to people uh, in a public uh, situation like this as he started his ministry. But Jesus gave us eight characteristics of someone who is blessed. And within those eight characteristics, we've taken four of those, narrowed them down, and used them for um, this series called Bless This Home. Week one, we heard Jesus say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we talked about what that means in the family. If you haven't watched these sermons, you can go to YouTube, go to our Ridgepoint Church page on YouTube, watch any of the sermons. Um, week two, we talked about, um, uh, Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God. And so today we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about making peace. Before we jump into this verse, let me ask a question. How many of you want peace in your homes? Pretty much everybody, right? We all want peace in our homes. The problem is many of us, our homes are not characterized by peace. They're characterized by conflict. You may be thinking, Pastor, you're preaching to me. You're talking about me today. My toes are already getting real sore because you're already stepping on. But the, the truth is there's a lot of dysfunction in our homes. All of us. There's a lot of dysfunction in our homes. And, 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 but you may be saying right now, Pastor, you just don't understand. The dysfunction is not coming from me. It's not coming from me. There's just this person in my home that always has to be right. They're very difficult. It's really hard to get along with them. And you're thinking, you just don't understand, Pastor. And you may be right. I may not understand. And, and, but here's the thing. Every home has one. Every home has a psycho difficult person, right? And it may. <laughs> you better watch it. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. Every home has one. And if you don't have it in, your, in your, your immediate home, you definitely have one in your extended family, right? Everyone has got one in their extended family. If you don't believe me, let me prove it. Raise your hand if someone in your family is a psycho-difficult person. Just raise your hand. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Karen, I see you. Everybody keep them up. Here's the thing. If you're not raising your hand, it's probably you. It's probably you. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Relationships are difficult at times. Amen relationships are very difficult and it can be so challenging when dysfunction plays out in our homes it typically looks like this you hurt me no you hurt me let's do it again right that's the way it works it's like we we each get hurt we hurt our feelings hurt our you know, pride whatever it is and then we just say okay let's do it again and we just put our gloves back on and keep doing it over and over and over this scenario happens in our homes and we end up in challenging relationships instead of relationships characterized by peace. But Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Maybe your kids are always fighting with each other. If you have more than one kid, you totally understand. I don't care who you are and how good your kids are, they're going to fight from time to time, aren't they? Like, that's just the way it works. Maybe your teenager thinks that you're too controlling and they just want a little freedom. Are you there yet? 
Maybe you're in a blended family and you're trying to raise your kids, you're trying to raise his kids, you're trying to raise your own kids, and it's just really complicated at times. You're dealing with in-laws, you're dealing with, with uh, ex-wives and ex-husbands, and it's just difficult. Maybe your mom, maybe you're a teenager in the room today and your mom and dad did something in the past that you just can't get over. Like it just hurts. Just really frustrating. Today we're going to look at one of the Beatitudes of Jesus. And well, that's what we call them, blessed bees. And we call those the bee attitudes, eight characteristics that, that symbolize a blessed home. Today, we're going to look at one of those beatitudes, and I have a tremendous amount of expectation today. I have a tremendous amount of expectation that God is going to do a lot of healing in a lot of hearts that are listening today. Not because of me, but because I believe the Holy Spirit is among us. Read with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. If you, don't have, you can look at it on the screen. You can also pull out your phone, go to the Bible app, look at events, and look for Ridgepoint Church. You can follow all my notes today on the Bible app looking for Ridgepoint Church. Jesus said this, Blessed be, I'm sorry, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Can we read that together? Here we go. Blessed be, I'm sorry, I've, I messed this one up already. Let's do it again. Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray today that you just allow your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. And God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Not our minds, but our hearts, God. And lead us to be peacemakers. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers... The word peace is translated from the word shalom or shalom uh, in the original language. And many of us, if you you know, cultured at all, you've probably heard the, the word shalom at some point. It's a well-known traditional greeting um, that, that's, used to, that's still used today. But the word peace in this specific instance that Jesus is saying or shalom, it means more than just the absence of bad. It means more than just, I hope that you don't have hard times. It means way more than that. It actually means, I wish the highest best for you. Not just the absence of bad, but when Jesus uses the word peace here, he actually means, I wish the, the greatest good for you and your family. Blessed are the peacemakers. He means, I want you to have the highest good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Here's the crazy thing. When, Je when Jesus said, here, never take Scripture out of context. Can I say that again? Don't take Scripture out of context. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the people in the audience at that time, mind blown. Okay? Absolutely against the culture in this particular period. Counterculture by all means. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Counterculture. Because the mindset at this particular time was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you steal something from me, I'm going to take something from you. So when Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, shocking to everyone listening. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, I, there's a higher calling for those of you that want to follow me. If you listen to what I'm saying, it's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth anymore. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you follow me, there's a higher calling 
for people that follow me. Now, you'll notice that Jesus said peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And you're probably saying, Pastor, it's semantics. You're just using words here, and it really doesn't mean much. But listen, there's a big difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Many of us are peacekeepers. I'm a peacekeeper. I'm going to go ahead and tell you straight up. I try to keep the peace at all costs. Many of us are peacekeepers. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. You're thinking, that's me, Pastor. That is totally me. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Peacekeepers work around the issue. They don't want to face it. They want to work around it, not through it, in an effort to keep the peace. We get to a place that we're kind of like, you know, let's just drop it. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to argue about it. Let's just keep the peace. Let's just not talk about it anymore. With smile, let's just go ahead and have dinner and just keep going, right? Are you there? Are we, am I hitting on you yet? Well, what happens is in, in a, a couple months from now, you've kept the peace for so long, someone does something and you just blow up. All of a sudden you just blow up and you start freaking out on this person and you're like, you done this and you did that. And that person's standing there like, whoa, where'd all this come from? Well, that's all that stuff that's left unsaid. All that conflict that is left unresolved. What happened, there were dozens of unresolved issues along the way. Beth, um, who, is, who works here at the church with us and does a fabulous job in everything that she's involved in, she recommended a book to me when I first became senior pastor here at the church called um, uh, Crucial Conversations. Because I'm, I'm the guy. I'm a peacekeeper. And so lots of times I don't like to hit the, the issue head on because I don't like that controversy or, uh, you know, that back and forth. And so I try to work around an issue and try to keep the peace. But I'm telling you, just the first couple of chapters of this book completely change what I believe in regards to um, how to, to make peace instead of keep peace. But Jesus didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. What do peacemakers do? A peacemaker will embrace conflict to keep the peace. Let me say that again. A peacemaker will embrace conflict to keep the peace. We're not going to work around the issues. We're going to work on the issues. We want to work through the issues. And with the help of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we believe that there can be peace in our homes. Amen? This brings me to our foundational thought of this entire series. Guys, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be a Christian home. Over 80% of Americans and American families claim to be Christian homes, okay? I don't want to be just a Christian home. I want my home to be a Christ-centered home. Jesus just isn't a part of my life. Jesus is my life. That's the difference. That's the big difference between a Christian home and a Christ-centered home. There are lots of Christian homes, but very few Christ-centered homes. So, if we're going to be a Christ-centered home, we're going to have to embrace this term called peacemaker instead of peacekeeper. You see, a lot of times in our lives, we don't, and especially in our homes, we just, and, and I'm guilty, oh my gosh, I'm so guilty. Please don't see me as standing on a pedestal up here saying I've got this one in the bag, because I do not. I'm so guilty of this in my marriage with my amazingly beautiful wife. Peacekeeper is definitely my title. Taylor wants to deal with issues. And I always just went, yeah, honey, whatever you think, whatever it's good for you is good for me. Right? You know what I mean? Guys, I want to be a peace 
maker moving forward. In a cultural Christian home, in a cultural Christian home, someone that just says, I'm a Christian family, 80% of the, of the families in, in America today, a Christian home by name only, where when there's a hard time, we just write people off, don't we? In a Christian home, we just write people off. And, you know, you've made your bed, now you've got to lay in it. Have y'all heard that in your... I don't, don't answer this. Have y'all heard that in your families? You made your bed, now you've got to lay in it. Look what you've done. I'm not going to forgive you. You don't deserve to be forgiven. Now, if you come back to me on hands and knees begging me for forgiveness, we may talk about it. That's a Christian home. Okay? That's perfectly normal in a cultural Christian home. But in a Christ-centered home, if you desire to be a Christ-centered home, in a Christ-centered home, what does Jesus teach us about relationships? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul says this about uh, peace in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Guys, I can stop right there. Some of y'all need to write that down. Some, some of us need to write that down. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to, to, uh, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Man, write that down, guys. I'm serious. That's big. That's a big deal. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For anyone sitting back today and saying, Pastor, I'm so glad you're preaching that message because so-and-so sitting over here to my left, they need to hear it. Mm -mm, you need to hear it. Because Paul just said, I hope you understand this. Scripture says, as much as it depends on you, not your neighbor, not your significant other, not your kids, not your parents, the Bible says as much as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, do everything possible to live at peace with everyone. Some of y'all need to, 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 to repeat that Scripture when you're getting ready to post that next, next Facebook status. Just going to be honest. You, you need to hear that. You need to hear the words from Paul. And you don't, I don't want to hear you say, but you don't understand what they've done. You don't understand they're ruining this and they're ruining that. And, and somebody needs to do something about it. Uh, what's Paul say? As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh. God, thank you so much. So, if we're going to be a Christ-centered home, if you desire... Now, some of you are going to say, I'm tuning you out, Pastor. I don't like what you said. It's okay with me. Be a Christian home. That's fine with me. If you're here today or you're watching online and you want to be a Christ-centered home, here's what we do. Here's what we do when we are a Christ-centered home and we are called to be peacemakers. We're going to give you three things really quick. The first thing is that peacemakers tell the truth in love. Peace, if you're writing this down, these are notes that you need to take today. If you're in the Bible app, you're already going to have them there. Peacemakers tell the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Because we're a Christ-centered home, or we aspire to be a Christ-centered home, we will tell the truth in love. 
That's just what we do. Notice what it didn't say. Paul didn't say, yell the truth in love, did he? He said, tell the truth in love. A lot of you guys like to, a lot of us, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to us. A lot of us like to yell the truth in love, don't we? We get into a little bit of a spat with our significant other or our kids or our parents, and we just start yelling. But you don't, you remember what you did last week? Well, you should have done that. We like to yell a lot in our homes. But Paul didn't say, yell the truth in love. He said, tell the truth in love. I found it pretty good advice. I found some really good advice, actually, on how we do this. Because I'm not very good at this. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not very good at this. And, and my wife will say amen under her breath right now. But I found some pretty good advice on how to, to tell the truth in love. You may want to jot this down. This is big time, especially you guys. If you're sitting there and you're just wondering what this has to do with you, listen, this is going to help your marriage. All right? Here it goes. Two things that you need to do in order to tell the truth in love. The first thing is to tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. <laughs> Let me say it again. You want to tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. When you are fighting with your significant other or arguing with your significant other about something, don't bring up something that happened last week. Don't bring up something that you think you're right on from two months ago. Don't throw another log into the fire. Does that make sense? When you want to talk about things that are important, that you believe have been, you've been wronged in some way, do that during non-conflict times. That's when you work on important issues, during non-conflict times. The second thing is that we attack the problem, not the person. Write that down. It's good. I'm telling you, it's good marital advice. Attack the problem, not the person. We confront issues, never the person. During non-conflict times, confront the issue, not the person. Now, Taylor and I, we do this from time to time. I won't say we do it perfect all the time, but we try really hard. Many times we're driving down the road on long trips because we do that often. We go on long trips to Georgetown or we go to the beach. Well, we haven't been to the beach in two years, and so my wife has been yelling at me for a while now to take me to the beach. But anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Anybody has a beach house somewhere they want to give to us? Let it happen. Okay. Um, so we'll be driving on a long trip somewhere, and Taylor, you know, we're just enjoying the presence of the Lord, and the kids are asleep in the backseat, and all this is happening. Bless you. All this stuff is happening, and we're just enjoying each other's presence. And all of a sudden, I hear my little wife say, Honey? She don't call me honey. Never mind. She says, Clay, you, there was something I wanted to talk to you about. And that very moment, it's like the spirit leaves me. It's like... <laughs> Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she starts talking about something that's happened. That she, it was a crucial conversation that needed to happen. And she felt like it needed to happen now during this very non-conflict time. And here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. I don't want to do it. No man wants to do it. No man wants to hear his wife say, hey, can we talk? Nobody wants that. But guess what? Every single time her and I talk, in the car, on a long drive, when we're enjoying the presence of the Lord, no conflict, it always gets resolved. Every time. Why? Because we're not mad at each other. We're not dealing with anger from three or four different things we've been, uh, we've been frustrated about over the past two, three days. We're enjoying each other's presence in a non-conflict time. And we get results. We get resolution. We hear each other. We hear each other. 
So to help you out, I came up with a few statements that you can use during non-conflict times. Came up with a few statements that you can use to kind of get these conversations started. Guys, I'm telling you, you might want to, if, you're not, if you don't have a pencil and paper because you don't want to lose your pride right now, if you want to go back and look at this sermon later on, you should. And here's a few statements that will help you out. When you sit down with your spouse, you say things like this. When you don't listen to me, I don't feel like you value me. Wives, that may be a good starter for a conversation with your husband. Kids, students, that may be a really good conversation with your parents. When you don't listen to me, I, feel, I don't feel like you value me. Here's another one. You can start this conversation out. This is how I feel when you fill in the blank. When you eat cereal late at night and you leave your bowl and your milk on the counter, this is how I feel. This is how you make me feel when you, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. You fill in the blank, but it's a really good conversation starter. Some of you are making notes. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Here's another one. <laughs> Guys, we're really good at this. Here's a conversation starter, ladies. When you lie to me about something insignificant, I find it difficult to trust you when fill in the blank. Whatever that is, because guys, we do it a lot, don't we? We do it because we try to be peacekeepers instead of peacemakers, right? When you lie to me about insignificant things, I find it difficult to trust you when fill in the blank. Now remember, we're confronting the issue, not the person. We're confronting the problem, not the person. And the last one is this. When you continue to check your phone at the dinner table, the rest of us feel devalued. Can I hear an amen? amen. When you content, I'm sorry, I'm the one. I feel very guilty right now. When you continue to check your phone at the dinner table, when we're supposed to be together, having dinner as a family, I feel devalued. It's a good conversation starter. If you're a significant other in a non-conflict time, has any of the spirit in him at all, he's going to put away his phone. I just threw you under the bus, didn't I? There you go. When we confront the issue, not the person, during non-conflict times, and we tell the truth in love, that's what we do as peacemakers. The second thing is this. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. We apologize when we're wrong. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. What do you think your relationship would look like if when you sinned against someone else, you actually confessed it? What would you think that would do to your relationship? I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? What do you think would happen if you did that? And then you didn't stop right there. You actually prayed about it together. You think that would make an impact on your relationships? Can you imagine how incredibly different that most of our relationships would be if we owned up to our sins? If we confess them, if we ask for forgiveness from whoever we have sinned against, and we actually prayed about it together. Can you imagine how difficult, or I'm sorry, different that our relationships would be? Peacemakers 
apologize when they're wrong. Now, how do we do that? We admit to specific actions without excuses. Do you hear me on that? We admit to specific actions, not generalities. How many of you go to people all the time and say, if I've hurt you, I hope you'll forgive me. I didn't mean it. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. That's not how you do it. You know you've hurt her. You know you've hurt him. You admit to specific actions without excuses. Here's what we do a lot of times. Well, I'm sorry you got hurt. If you hadn't have fill in the blank. If you hadn't have left the toilet seat up, that wouldn't have happened. If you hadn't have left the, the food all over the table, that would have never happened. I wouldn't have got mad at you. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. But peacemakers admit to specific actions without excuses. That's what we do as peacemakers. We apologize. We apologize for specific things without excuses. You say, I have no excuses. What I did was wrong. No buts. Don't even put a but in there. Don't even put an and in there. We admit to specific actions without excuses, and we say the thing, can you forgive me? Listen, there's a difference. There's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse, remorse, and don't miss this big time right here. This will help you. Remorse, so often we have remorse, but it's kind of like, I'm sorry I got caught. I hate it. I hate it that I got caught. I'm sorry that we're having a hard time. I'm sorry that, that you got your feelings hurt. That's remorse. Repentance is, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. Say it with me. Can you all say that with me? I was wrong. A little bit louder. See, wives, they can say it. It happens. It happens. <laughs> Repentance is saying I was wrong. Repentance, hear me. Is saying, I was wrong, I sinned, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's repentance. There's a difference between remorse and repentance. I'm sorry for my mistakes, will you forgive me for my sin? Don't stop it, I'm sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Because when you've actually sinned against someone, if you want to be a peacemaker in a Christ-centered home, you go further and you ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness. This may be difficult for you to do because if it's not a part of your family life already, this may be difficult for you to do. But remember, we're not just a Christian home. We want to be a Christ-centered home. God calls us to higher standards. We will tell the truth in love and we will apologize when we're wrong. And number three is peacemakers forgive and let go. Hmm. Peacemakers forgive and let go. I'm going to walk into this one gently, okay? At this point, I know that for a lot of you, there's a tremendous amount of pain. You're dealing with a lot of pain. Some of you may be thinking, Pastor, you just don't get it. You don't understand what she did to me. You don't understand what he did to me. You just don't get it. You don't understand what they've put me through. And you're right. I'm not in your shoes. I don't get your life. I have my own issues to work through in my own family. I don't understand completely what you're going through. But here's what I do understand. I do understand betrayal. And I do understand that it's very difficult to forgive someone once they've betrayed you. I get that. 
I totally get that. Some of you, your spouse betrayed you, committed adultery, maybe multiple times, and you're thinking, there's no way I can forgive them. Maybe what you're dealing with right now. I know that some of you have someone that you trusted with everything in you, and they deceived you. There's no way that you feel like that you can forgive that. They left you broken, and they left you hurt. Some of you have someone in your family that should have protected you, but they took advantage of you. And now you ask the question daily, how can I forgive them for what they've done to me? I don't even want to forgive them. I will never until I have the last breath in my body forgive that person for what they've done to me. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just not going to tell you that it's easy. But what I will tell you is that it is doable. It's doable. When you have someone in your life that has done something to you that you find it very difficult to forgive, I want you to know. I don't know your situation. I'm not up here trying to rule your life. But I want you to know that forgiveness is doable. It's doable. And it's incredibly important if you're a Christ-centered home. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Can y'all read the next part with me? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the secret. There is a secret. How do we forgive someone that's that we feel like is unforgivable? Paul says to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Let me ask you a question. Has the Lord forgiven you of a lot of sins? Has the Lord forgiven you of a lot of sins? Has the Lord forgiven you freely even though you didn't deserve to be forgiven and you couldn't earn it? Has He done that for you? Just for a moment, just for a moment, I want you to think of some things that the Lord has forgiven you of. Don't say them out loud, but I mean, even if you have to close your eyes, just for a moment, I want you to think of some things that the Lord has forgiven you of. Take a moment and think of those things. Right now, all across this room and everyone watching online is thinking of the most horrific thing that you've ever done in your life, aren't you? You're thinking of that terrible thing that you did when you were a kid or you did last week or you did when you were in your 20s or you did when you were in high school or you did whenever. Every single person across this room is thinking about that thing that they did or multiple things that you did. Isn't it amazing how the Lord said, I will wipe away all your sins when you come to me. I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be heard of again. And then we go back to God and continue to ask God to forgive us. Forgive us of that sin. Forgive us of that sin. And the Lord says, what sin? I've already forgiven you. Guys, that's amazing, isn't it? Paul says, forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive others. 
We're called to freely forgive others as we have been freely forgiven. And that's what we do in a Christ-centered home. And I want to say one big thing to you right now. If you don't remember every anything else I've said today, one big thing I want you to walk away with is remember this. Hear me. Everybody look up. Family is worth it. Family is worth it. Your family and your home is worth it. Forgive freely as the Lord has forgiven you. If we're followers of Jesus, what do we do? When someone strikes us on the cheek, what's Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. When someone asks for our shirts, we give them our coat as well. When marriage gets tough, we don't just walk out and say, forget you. We don't just write our children off and say, I'm done with you. We don't just walk away from our families because family is worth it. Family is worth it. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We show mercy as we have been shown mercy. We show grace as we have been shown grace. And family extends beyond blood. Family extends beyond blood as well. Family extends to this room. You are my family. You are my family. And you are each other's family. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. When we act like Christ, when we forgive, when we show mercy, when we act like Christ and we make peace, when we make peace, we're called children of God. You'll never look more like Christ than when you forgive the unforgivable and make peace. You know what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Would you stand with me? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. God, thank you. Thank you, God. That you call us all to be peacemakers. You call us all to embrace the issues, the problems for the sake of peace. Not to dance around the issues, but to embrace them because we care. Speak the truth to each other in love, God. Father, help us. Help us, God. I want you to keep your heads bowed. No one looking around. I believe healing has happened today. I believe that God is calling some of you right now. I believe that God is calling you to be peacemakers in your home right now. And that's my challenge to you today. Stop being a peacekeeper. Take it a step further. Be a Christ-centered home and become a peacemaker. Embrace conflict. Embrace issues in your families. Be peacemakers. Be what God has called us to be. Because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but I desperately want to be called a child of God. Whatever it takes, my challenge to you today is be a peacemaker in your home. Be a peacemaker. If there's anyone in this room or watching online today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today that you will 
you will accept the Prince of Peace as your Savior. He died for you. He gave his life for your sin. He forgave the unforgivable in you on the cross in your place. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm asking you. I'll be sitting in the front row. I would love for you to come down front. I would love to pray with you. For anyone else, the altar is open. We're going to worship God. The altar is open.